This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. It's time for Discovery. I'm your host, Cal Steiger, and you're listening to a show that focuses on podcasting. With over 3 million active podcasts globally, there's a lot of choice. Here on Discovery, we try to introduce you to a range of podcast series, subject matter, and creators curating in part this vast universe. Today we have a submission from Peace Arch Hospital. While the hospital is located in White Rock, BC, the issue of how to effectively use the emergency room is a universal problem for hospitals and patients right across Canada. Today we hear from two health professionals on when you belong in the ER and when other options should be used. What are the challenges and how do we get there? Join me now for Use Your ER Wisely. Is the ER of your local hospital really your only choice when clinics and doctor's offices are fully booked? What can we all do to help ease the congestion in these urgent care settings? And what are the causes and possible solutions to the current staff shortages in frontline healthcare? We'll look for answers and insights from two doctors who know only too well the problems facing our medical system. Dr. Rogan Thavaraja is a family physician at Hilltop Medical Clinic in White Rock, South Surrey, and the board chair for our division. Dr. Dan Crompton is head of the emergency room at Peace Arch Hospital. They were joined by Vicki Bryden, director of public relations with the hospital's foundation. The three spoke with veteran television and radio broadcaster Wayne Cox, a longtime resident of the White Rock, South Surrey area. Perhaps I can uh, begin by asking each of you to uh, tell us a little bit about your backgrounds, your medical careers, and what your current roles entail. Dr. Favaraja, maybe I'll start with you. I'm obviously from England, so I went to medical school at Leicester University. After I graduated, I was young and adventurous, so worked in a variety of places. I worked in Australia for a couple of years, in New Zealand, and in Sri Lanka, and did some aid work in Sudan. So after that, I trained in pediatrics for a few years and then had a career change into family practice, then moved over here to um, White Rock, South Surrey in British Columbia. So I'm family physician at Hilltop Medical, and I'm the current chair of the division of family practice here in White Rock, South Surrey. And Dr. Crompton, how about you? I did my medical training from UBC. I was one of the first group of students who did their training up in northern BC in Prince George. And then after my medical school training, I did residency in rural family medicine in Alberta. After that, did my emergency training in Saskatchewan. And then came back to BC to start my career in Prince George. I worked there for about five years. And then about six years ago, moved down to the White Rock, South Surrey area. And for the past, a little over a year, I've taken on the role of department head at uh, Peace Arch Hospital. And Vicki, one of the themes that we're exploring in this episode is the wise use of the Peace Arch Hospital Emergency Department. And just to set the stage, the brand new ER at Peace Arch was recently opened. What role did the Peace Arch Foundation play in funding this new facility? The Peace Arch Hospital Foundation raised $15 million to contribute to the overall $91 million investment into the hospital, which included a brand new ER 
and a brand new OR, and also a new medical device reprocessing unit. So we have been fundraising for this brand new ER probably since 2011, 2012. We kind of started out a little quietly. It was a really long campaign. Many donors gave again and again to this, and we were so excited for it to open in January of 2022. You must be very proud of that new facility, Vicki. We really are. The impact in the community has been phenomenal. And I know that Dr. Crompton will sort of speak to the challenges that we're all facing right now with the ER. But I have to say that the facility really exceeded our expectations in what we wanted to be able to fund for our community. A larger ER, more treatment spaces, more up-to-date equipment, all of that impact with donor dollars is happening now. We are so grateful for the community for that. And Dr. Crompton, what is new and improved in the ER since the renovation? I understand well, the capacity, for one thing, is is more than doubled. But what else do you see there that is a vast improvement? Good question. What isn't new and improved in our new space? It's been remarkable. In our previous space, each room was separated by a curtain. You can imagine how much privacy that gives. Right now, all of our care spaces are generally behind glass doors which gives a huge amount of privacy. Secondly, the size of it is obviously much bigger, allows us to have more people in the emergency department, for sure. The equipment and the functionality of all the care spaces is second to none. It's almost too good in a way, in that each of our rooms can care for multi-levels of patients. So when the hospital gets full, which it is, often people who need all of those services and oxygen levels and all that kind of stuff, any of our care spaces can provide all of that high level monitoring. We have lots of great new pieces of equipment, such as a portable x-ray C-arm, which we can use for setting fractures in the emergency department. So we don't need to send people to the radiology department to make sure that we've got the bones in the right place. That can just be done right there in the emergency room. Our acute care trauma space is all state-of-the-art equipment. The equipment we use for intubating, putting in breathing tubes is, again, state-of-the-art. So it's easier to say what isn't new and improved. It's everything. I see that as a win-win. It's a win for the medical staff, and it's a win for the patients who have to go in there. Congratulations on that. Yeah, it's great, especially in those high-acuity situations where we have all of the best equipment. It makes it a much better place to work, for sure. Yeah, of course, new equipment, increased treatment spaces, but you do need staff. And so many hospitals we're hearing right across the country are reporting shortages in people coming to work. Is that a problem at Peace Arch Hospital? That is our hugest problem, no question. Despite the fact that our emergency department in the physical space is so wonderful, we haven't been able to increase the staffing to be able to utilize all of that space. And to be honest, since our, our new ER has opened, especially nursing staffing level has gone down. Almost every single shift we're working with not enough nurses. And this is coinciding with higher volumes as well. So you can imagine our wait times are just getting longer and longer. And it's not just us. It's all over the region. You probably hear it all over the country. But we are definitely experiencing it in a huge way. So what are the major factors at play here? I know COVID must have had a big part of that. But are people not getting into the medical field now? Or what seems to be the big factor? I mean, to train a nurse, it takes at least four years. So it's not that just COVID, because COVID wouldn't have existed when the people who decided to go into nursing and are graduating nursing now started. 
So I think COVID definitely has an impact in people leaving the field. There's been more retirements than there has before during COVID. COVID's been really difficult as far as our work environment goes and has caused a lot of burnout, for sure. And critical care and emergency nursing is really difficult. You're working in high acuity situations, you work nights, it's busy all the time. And so I think with retirements all over the nursing profession, some of our nurses look at other areas of nursing and say, oh, maybe I'd like to take on a different role in nursing that maybe isn't quite as challenging. And so I think we're definitely losing some of our emergency and critical care nurses to that as well, for sure. Dr. Thamaraja, you have a unique perspective as both a family physician in White Rock, South Surrey, and also the board chair for the Division of Family Practice. Why do you think so many people from the area are turning to the ER departments when uh, it's not really an emergency, but they want to see someone? I think this has been a sort of long-standing historical problem going back. I think a lot of it has to be around education and people understanding what is the kind of problem that needs to go to the emergency department and what is the kind of problem where you can go to a walk-in clinic or urgent care or see your family physician. So in the past, the division had run a campaign, Right Care, Right Place, to help support that, and that was successful. What I would say is that since COVID um, and over the last few years, I think there have been challenges in family practice. So we know that becoming increasingly difficult. If you have a family practitioner to get access, a lot of our lists and wait times have been increasing over the last year. Understanding those reasons are complicated. I think some of that is pent-up demand and perhaps people not addressing their issues during COVID. And I think some of this is also related to other access problems in the system per se. So as family practitioners, we end up taking on that burden. So if you've got, say, for example, mental health issues and you're struggling to get access to, say, a psychiatrist, then as a family physician, I have to do my best to try and address those issues. So I think for a number of reasons, we are seeing a crisis in family practice. And we're seeing that in our walk-in clinics. We're seeing that in our own practices. We're seeing that in increasing number of patients that are unattached and don't have a family physician. So that has a knock-on effect. If you're unable to see your family physician or you don't have a family physician and the walk-in clinic is booked up half an hour after it opens, which is what we sometimes see, then people have very little choice. So I think all of these problems and issues are interrelated. Some of these issues are things that we can look at locally, and then some of these are much bigger provincial or even national challenges. It must be very frustrating for you when you have to turn people away because you can only handle so many patients. Any family physician, there must be a maximum. There are only so many hours in a day. So what recommendations do you make to these people who come to you and you say, sorry, uh, we're full? What do you tell those people? It's a real challenge. I think as family physicians, most of us try and provide some form of same-day access or emergency access, walk-in clinic access, some kind of cover. For people that are struggling to see their family physician on the same day, the question that they need to try and ask is, is this a problem that needs to be addressed today, tomorrow, in a week, or immediately? 
And that can be a difficult judgment call. I think it's a question that everybody needs to try and ask in that situation because going to the emergency department isn't necessarily the best option. Sometimes the best option, as I say, is waiting a few days to see your family physician. You can't see them on the day because your family physician is going to be the person that can follow up and continue with that care. You know, one of the advantages we have in family practice is we get to know our patients very, very well over the course of their lives. And so we are in the best place to solve what are often ongoing chronic problems. So as much as possible in these difficult circumstances, and I do recognize that they are difficult circumstances, that question people need to ask themselves is, is this a problem that is best going to be served by waiting for that appointment, which may be a few days out. As the number of reported cases of COVID-19 began to drop earlier this year, there were hopes that for medical staff, the stress and exhaustion brought on by two years of pandemic would be relieved. However, resignations, early retirement, and sick leaves continue to put enormous strain on healthcare right across the country. And especially for emergency departments already at capacity due to the shortage of family physicians. Dr. Crompton, two-part question. We we talked about COVID-19 and the whole healthcare system, which was already under intense pressure. I know that, the demand and the capacity. What are your thoughts on that? And why do you think things seem to be getting more challenging in the medical system rather than getting better? Yeah, you're right. COVID-19 definitely put a huge strain on us. You know, we seem to have gotten more of a handle on COVID and we're not having as many critically ill patients in emergency from COVID. The strain of that, as we talked about before, has caused a lot of our healthcare professionals to feel very burnt out. And then couple that with the fact that having people having a difficult time to get in to see their family doctor and our volumes are going up, it just makes it a a more and more difficult situation. So, yeah, COVID's been very difficult. And right now, I'd say we're not necessarily experiencing the huge volumes of patients that we were, say, during Delta and the really sick patients that we were seeing during Delta. But I think we're really dealing with the sequelae of just the long-term slog that it's become more and more difficult. And that's caused people to leave the profession. And then that just makes it harder on the people that are still here trying to care for the patients that we want to see. Yeah, you mentioned burnout, and I've also heard abuse is often cited as a reason why some doctors, nurses, other medical professions either retire early or become ill or they're forced to leave. Have you witnessed any of that kind of thing, either verbal abuse or physical abuse in the uh, emergency ward? Oh, all the time. And I feel for patients. They come in, they're unwell, they're feeling terrible, they've struggled to gain access, and they come to us and they want to be seen quickly, and they can't because we just don't have the staff to see people as quickly as we want to as well. People get very frustrated with that, and for sure, they take it out on the nurses, they take it out on the doctors. I think especially the nurses feel the biggest brunt of that which I find so difficult because these nurses that are still there, they're the ones that are working so hard. And if the patients could see how stretched they are and how hard they're working and how dedicated they are to the job to, even after all these years of COVID, they're still there and they're still working hard and they're still caring for patients as best as they can to receive the kind of abuse that they are. That's just so not warranted. And I get it sometimes 
everybody has bad days and sometimes a nurse will say something that maybe isn't the most kind thing because she's so stressed and 10 people have asked her the same thing and given her the same amount of abuse at the same time. I see it all the time and it breaks my heart, especially for the people that are working so hard to provide the care that we want to. And Dr. Thavaraja, have you personally witnessed anything similar to that in your practice? I would say that my staff definitely have seen an increase in frustration and verbal abuse. People generally are quite respectful to me, but I think it's unfortunately my staff that tend to get the brunt of it. They're trying to do the best that they can with my availability and what I'm able to safely provide in terms of the care that I provide for my patients, but for my own health and well-being at some level, because we all have our limits and capacity. So we definitely have seen that. Yeah. And it's not acceptable. We have a responsibility to take care and protect our staff. When you're talking about situations that we're talking about from a more global perspective, it's understandable why that's happening. And Dr. Crompton, I imagine in an emergency ward situation, there's a lot of stress involved in that, and not only the patients, but also the physicians. How do you balance that when you go home? You come out of the trenches there and you got to wind down. And is that a difficult process? Yeah, in some ways, it's become much more difficult in the last year that I've been the department head. I used to be able to go home and just de-stress and unplug. But lately, since things have been very difficult in the emergency department, it often never goes away from me because I'm getting constant phone calls and texts from nurses and doctors that um, are asking for my help and advice when things are getting difficult. But as far as myself, I have a wonderful, loving family who supports me. Yeah, it's definitely my family that helps me keep going. Well, Vicky, we've kind of wandered into a mental health uh, situation here. <laughs> and uh, the new mental health zone that's attached to the ER is now open. And in a previous episode, we spoke to some local firefighters who helped raise funds for this resource. Can you give us a recap on that campaign, how it went and how it's going now? Yeah, the mental health care unit that the firefighters funded was part of the 15 million ER campaign. So we had lumped it together and we approached them because we knew that this was an issue that was really important to them and they jumped on board. And that was both the White Rock and the Surrey firefighters collaborated on this gift of $500,000. So they have a big part in helping us open that unit and we're so proud of it and we're so thankful for their gift that they were able to make that happen. So they contributed $500,000 to that $15 million campaign. And Dr. Crompton, have you seen uh, the mental health zone making an impact on the ER? The benefits of the mental health zone is that it's a separate area for people with mental health conditions to come and be treated and evaluated. It's still part of the main emergency department, but it is somewhat separated to give that extra bit of privacy and safety for those mental health patients. We were talking about, you know, shortages, staff shortages. Anything new on the recruitment line? Dr. Thanaraja, anything there uh, recruiting doctors from out of province or out of the country even? So I think as a community and uh, as a division of family practice, I think historically we've done very well compared to a lot of the communities when it comes to recruiting family physicians, both out of residency, 
from other provinces and out of country, as I demonstrate, you know, I came from the UK. And so we have a dedicated staff member whose role is to help with recruitment, help physicians in what can be quite a complex and challenging journey for them to move across and so on. And so we have been successful. So in the past, we averaged sort of recruitment of around 8 to 12 family physicians per year. Now, the challenge that we've had is most of that 8 to 12 is replacing existing family physicians that are leaving. So we had been keeping up with that pace with maybe an extra doctor or two being recruited on top of that per year in what is a growing community. Even with that success, we have had some challenges, particularly in the last year. What we have seen in the last year is a number of physicians retire and not being replaced. So projections as of October is we would have had an extra 5,000 patients becoming unattached, assuming that there's a couple of physicians out there whose practice hasn't been replaced, assuming that they don't get replaced. Those are the numbers we would be looking at potentially over the course of this year so far. That's definitely a concern and it's definitely a challenge. And I think that challenge is provincial or national challenge at some level. We do our best locally. I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think physicians, you know, because of the challenges that they're faced, have perhaps chosen retirement and or change in their career. And I think on the other side, I guess physicians or uh, new graduates are choosing other pathways within medicine. They don't find perhaps family practice as attractive as maybe used to be for a number of reasons. They worry about overhead costs, they worry about the demands, and uh, maybe, you know, as a profession, it's uh, they have other attractive and perhaps better paid options within the medical profession. So those are all things that we as a division are expressing the challenges we're facing to our advocacy bodies and they're negotiating with the ministry to see what can be done provincially to help address this crisis. I'll throw this one out to whoever wants to answer it, but do you think the government is doing enough, especially financially, to address this situation? Because it was no secret that there was a huge bubble of a population called baby boomers that were going to get older, and we got older, and, and we get sick. It was no secret, but it seems like any kind of government funding or government involvement, they seem to be caught flat-footed on this one. I can't understand that, but... Do you feel they're doing enough? I'll talk about this from a family physician perspective. I think that some of these issues have been building up over a a number of years. And therefore, you know, it's been a slow burn. But then the the crisis and the challenges we've faced have kind of brought everything uh, a lot more to light. So could more have been done in terms of better planning and recruitment of family physicians in the past? In retrospect, you can say the answer to that is yes, certainly. We know that the government is supporting family practice through the primary care network, which is something that's being rolled out at the moment that the division is helping roll out, which is providing nurses and social workers and mental health workers to help support family physicians in a more team-based care environment. So there are some positive things that have happened and there has been a recent announcement around additional stabilisation funding for family physicians to help support keep practices open because one of the challenges that 
uh, many of my uh, uh, practices and clinics have faced is, uh, say, as we've talked about recruitment, you know, having staff, um, overhead costs and all of these things. So, you know, and that has led to the threat of certainly outside of our area of clinics actually closing, but uh, threatening to close clinics in our community. So there are some positive things that have happened, but I would say, as always, you know, we look back and think that perhaps more could have been done. The Peace Arch Hospital Foundation has always taken a big picture approach to supporting better health care for the White Rock, South Surrey area. That means not only raising funds to support building upgrades and new medical equipment for the hospital, but also reaching out to the community and investing in projects that promote physical, social and mental well-being for all. And one of these outreach initiatives couldn't be more timely. A campaign called Use Your ER Wisely. It highlights alternatives to the emergency department for those seeking non-critical medical assistance. The aim is to relieve pressure on hardworking staff at the hospital by encouraging residents to only turn to the ER for true medical emergencies. So Vicki, the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation website, paahfoundation.ca, has some good tips on alternatives to a lengthy wait in the ER for those with, well, non-emergency medical needs. Now, what are some of those? Yeah, absolutely. And we launched this campaign to really try and help our hardworking ER docs and nurses um, ease that congestion. So what we're really asking you know, our community to do. If you have a health issue, try your family physician. If you don't have a family physician, try a walk-in clinic. There is a website you can go to that can give you wait times in real time. So you, you can kind of pick the one closest to you that has the least amount of wait times. You know, something like if you're having a, a mental health crisis, there is a number with Fraser Health that you can call. They also have the 811 nurses link. So you could speak to a nurse on the phone, get some advice that way, or perhaps even an allied health professional can help you, like a chiropractor or an osteopath. The ailment that you have, could an allied health professional help you? So instead of using the ER as a doctor's office, and I get it, when you're, you're panicked and you're in pain and you, you're just not really sure where to go, that's what we're trying to spread the word about. Dr. Thanaraja, if someone listening doesn't have a family physician, what is the Division of Family Practice doing to try and help people get a doctor? So I think historically the division has uh, done a number of things. So the website Medimap is something that is supported and funded by the Division of Family Practice. So if you go on that website, one, you will see availability of walk-in clinics and wait times, but you will also see if there's any family physicians or clinics that are taking on new patients. We are also hopefully recruiting an attachment coordinator. And so that person will help people that are vulnerable, that have complex medical needs, find a family physician. One of the other things that we've done in the past in relation to this challenge is we helped found the primary care access clinic. That was a clinic that was designed to help support patients that attended the emergency department with complex medical needs that really needed some primary care support. And so that clinic was available to patients that were referred out of the emergency department. And now that clinic has had its own staffing <laughs> recruitment um, issues, but that is something that the division is getting actively involved with again to try and support so that there is a place for, particularly for vulnerable patients to receive primary care. 
Well, Dr. Favaraja, thank you very much for your time. I know it's very valuable, and uh, we appreciate you taking time out of the day for us. And uh, Dr. Crompton, the same with you. And uh, we're just very grateful here in this community that both of you are here to help serve the people in need. And we just hope we can make it a little better for you and maybe a little easier to go to work. But we thank you very much for your time, and we thank you for your dedication. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week. If you want to hear more from Discovery, go to our website, 1059theregion.com, and click on Podcasts. If you want to hear more from Peace Arch Hospital, go to wherever you access your favorite podcast currently and type in Peace Arch Hospital. Until next week, I'm Cal Steiger. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.